I'm going to just do this morning uh, a nuts and bolts, in my opinion, of faith on purpose giving. So I want you to look in your book, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're not going to cover it all uh, this morning in uh, the time that we have allotted. I I usually quit at 12 o'clock, whether I'm done or not. And so I think I'll be able to do that. Uh, you know, it's it, nothing wrong with going over and, you know, if a guy preached at one o'clock in the afternoon, if he had something to say. But uh, I, I feel like I can get said what I need to say and then talk a little bit more this this evening. But look at verse number 12 of chapter 8. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. And then I want you just to conserve a little bit of time. Look at verse number 7 of chapter 9. Chapter 7, chapter 9, verse number 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the investment that you have made in our lives through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that gave his life's blood on Calvary to redeem us sinners, to save us by your grace. I'm grateful this morning For what I know about it, I'm grateful for what I've experienced in regard to redemption. And I look forward to the day uh, when I see the full benefits of what it meant to be a Christian. When I walk through the gates of glory and walk on the street of gold and see the loved ones who've gone before. And all because of a Bible And the blood that it talks about, this wonderful, wonderful book. And I pray you'd help me now in my few minutes to convey the thoughts that I think need to be expressed in regard to this great enterprise of faith on purpose mission. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you also to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 5. But this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. I think if we would get it in our minds and hearts that we belong to Him. We belong to Jesus Christ. We are children this morning, if you're saved, of the Most High God. And we ought to give of ourselves. If you give yourself, everything else will fall in line. My dad used to, I think jokingly, uh, mention to people that they ought to be baptized with a man with his billfold in his pocket and a lady with her purse on her arm. You know, if you get yourself baptized, you ought to get your money baptized. And whatever you have financially or spiritually, physically, however you want to look at it, is a gift of our great God. 
Service of the Lord is really no place for sissies. I was involved with this story some years ago. A young missionary family. They'd only been on the field for about a year. Just learning the language. They had a toddler. Kevin. Little boy by the name of Kevin. And Kevin became ill and seemed like... Uh, bronchial pneumonia, uh, something like that. Of course, there was no way uh, where they were to take care of this little lad, and so a plane was summoned, flew the little landing strip. A nurse had come along, and they put the oxygen mass over that little fella, and immediately when that clear, pure oxygen hit him, He died. He was gone. The body was taken off of the plane. They buried him there. The tribe's people immediately began to inquire of the missionary. Are you going to go home now? Are you going to leave us now? He said, no. We came to tell you an important message. The message that we have is too important for us to go home. That answer, that reply seemed to enter the hearts of those tribesmen. It opened their thinking, and three months later, they had their very first convert. In a matter of a few years, they had built three churches, and there in that distant place, 800 people had come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This thing of world missions, this thing of the word of God getting to people is of vital importance. We have the opportunity to make an investment in the lives of people that we will never meet until we get to heaven. And don't you think for one second that God doesn't keep accurate records. He knows. He'll know what your dollar went to, uh, your investment went to in regard to getting people to Jesus Christ. I think this is a a very pertinent little statement or several statements. The imminent place, the preeminent place of foreign missions. Every book in the New Testament was written by a foreign missionary. Every letter in the New Testament that was written to an individual was written to a convert, a convert of a foreign missionary. Every epistle that was written in the New Testament was written to a church that was founded and developed and grown by a foreign missionary. The disciples were first called Christian in a foreign missionary community, Antioch. The twelve apostles chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ all became foreign missionaries, but one who was a traitor. The problems in the early church were mainly missionary problems. The apostles placed high importance on missionary service 
the very first church business meeting recorded in the Word of God sent two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, to the world. If all that is true, and I believe it is, it tells us of the importance of foreign missionaries. Someone said, I think it's also true, that hell is truth seen too late. There's not a person in hell right now that doesn't know that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on Calvary, if they'd have accepted that and received him, they wouldn't be in the awful eternal predicament they are in today. That's why we have mission conferences. That's why preachers preach. That's why young couples go. That's why people print the Bible. That's why people get the word of God. That's why guys go on the street corner on Saturday. That's why there's prayer meetings. That's why we have church to keep people out of hell. It's that important that we give ourselves in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wouldn't ask anybody to do what I wouldn't be willing to do. I give to missions. I give missions, faith promise missions to my local church. I tithe 10% like any born again child of God would do. And I give another 10%, another uh, tithe if you please, another 10% of my income to foreign missions through my local church. My wife knows this. I support another 45 or 50 missionaries personally on the field, around the world, make an investment. You can't outgive God. God will give back to you. He'll bless you in numerous ways. We give of our substance and God provides our needs. We must determine, we must purpose in our heart. I'm going to give to foreign missions. I'm going to be involved in this wonderful enterprise of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been given uh, since 1970. I, uh, I never, I was never confronted with uh, faith promise or I like to call it faith on purpose because that's what the apostle Paul said there in that ninth chapter of Second Corinthians, is every man purposeless in his heart. You determine to do it. I was confronted with it as a young man, and it, it made a lot of sense to me, and I got involved uh, in great depth in my heart and mind about it, and I've been inv- involved in it uh, ever since, giving, giving to the work of God. It's a, it's a great privilege It's a great opportunity. I was in a meeting some years ago in Millbrook, Alabama. And uh, it was a mission conference. I was speaking at it. There was a couple that came, an elderly couple. I did not know them. We went to the preacher's house and and had lunch. And I sat beside the man. And uh, I just asked him, I said, because I didn't know he, he hadn't made himself public to anything that he did. 
Their last name was Dye, D-Y-E. They were from Michigan. We had a family in my father's church with the same last name. They were there for decades. And uh, so I was curious and I began to talk to him. And he said that uh, they had a missionary come to their church in Saginaw, Michigan. His uh, uncle had a large church there of 3,000 people way back in the 1930s, 1940s, back in those days. Uh, the church does not even exist anymore. Or it's broken up into several pieces. But uh, we talked about that a little bit. And then he talked about they had a mission conference there and a missionary came made an appeal, not only for money, but he came for men. Came for people who would be willing to go like this young couple. Here the Jensen's have made it a determined fact in their life that they're going to go to the Navajo Indians and present the gospel, build a church, and do something for the Lord. I had a little sister and her husband went to New Guinea Probably, I don't know, 35, 40 years ago, she died. Been there, she was there 25 years, died, and went to heaven a long time ago. I have a son on the mission field of Mexico today. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Your silver will affect your giving. But when your son goes, it'll really affect your giving. And then when you go yourself... That'll really help you to get interested in world missions. This man died. They had a, the missionary made an appeal. The speaker made an appeal for men to go to the mission field. Nobody, nobody got interested. And so the pastor, God dealt with the pastor of that large church. He went to the pulpit and he said, Folk, doesn't seem like anybody else is going to go. So me and my family, we're going to go. He surrendered himself to go to the mission field at the own, his own mission conference. This, other, this man that I was talking to, he was much older than me. He said, my, my dad, who was, uh, they were brothers. The pastor and my dad were brothers. So my uncle said he was going to go. And so my dad said, I'm going to go with you. And they both went. They went to Ecuador way back. In the 30s and 40s, back in those days, they were there, began to tell me this story. They were there just a short time. He said, I was only two years old when I went there with my family. And he said, my dad and my uncle, they decided to make a survey trip, kind of try to figure out where they were going to go. They were in the capital of Quito, stayed there, and so his father and his uh, uncle and two other men, they went to make a survey. They were, go- they were going to be gone for four months. Four months passed. Five months passed. Six months passed. They never came back. They were never heard of again, those four men. Said my mother was there and my aunt was there. I believe there were 13 kids between those two families, those two women and those kids stayed there until this young man was 14 years old before they came back to the States. They came back to that church in Saginaw and 
They were cared for and taken care of. And after they were home about a year, someone asked, he said, someone asked my mother, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going back. So her and those children, they went back. He spent his life there. He grew up there, ministered there for decades. Lots of stories he told me. He said he went to a large conference uh, in one of the capitals of uh, the countries. It may have been in Peru or some other uh, country there in South America when he was a grown man. And he said there were thousands of people there. And people were giving their testimonies and tribal groups were telling about what had happened. And he said one uh, group of villagers came. This was 30 years plus after they had gone there and his dad and his uncle had disappeared. And there was a group of about 30 of them and they had a spokesman and they gave their testimony of their village. They said four men many years ago, came to our village and told us about Christ and salvation. And some of us, few were saved, and out of those few, they began to witness, and essentially, or eventually, our entire village was saved. He said, I was a grown man at that time, I went and queried those people, asked questions, come to find out it was his father and his uncle and those other two men had come to that village and before they had died, before they were killed, they had reached that village with the gospel and for these decades they were living for God and serving God. It's vital, it's important that this message gets to the world. It's not a This is not a message that doesn't matter. I would say to you this morning, there ought to be young men. There ought to be young ladies in this room that the Holy Ghost of God that dwells inside of you has spoken to your heart and said, that's what you ought to do. My little sister that spent a quarter of a century in New Guinea as a missionary, felt like she was called to the mission field when she was but a 12 or 13-year-old girl at a youth camp, at a youth camp. She determined she wouldn't even date a boy that hadn't been called to the mission field. I don't know how many boys were after her or interested, but thank God there was one boy and he wanted to be a missionary And they were married. And I don't know, you couldn't. My dad used to have a list. He had a list of people that my little brother-in-law had sent my father to pray for by name. That they would be saved. I think, John, there were 400 names on that list. And I, I saw the list more than once. And my dad would put a check by the marks. It was the last time I saw it, over 200 of those names of people had been born again, had been won to Christ through the ministry of my little sister and her husband on the mission field. It's a vital thing. I think there might even be a young couple sitting here today that God is putting his hand in his heart, in your heart, speaking to you about being a missionary. Spurgeon said this. 
He said, we should make our young men prove that they should not go to the mission field. Should make them prove. I don't know how they would prove that. You know, maybe might live an ungodly or whatever. We should prove that our young men, they should not go. Jim Elliott, a great missionary, you know, he was a martyr back in the 1950s. He said, so many missionaries are intent on doing something for God that they forget that God's main goal is making something of them. So many want to make a name. You know, I'm going to build so many churches. I was in a mission conference one time. A guy was going to Ireland. And his goal had never been there before. His goal, and I'd preached in Ireland. I'd preached five or six revivals over there, crusades over there back in the day. <laughs> he said his goal was he was going to go to Ireland and start 50 churches. Nigh unto impossible. I don't think he ever started a one. I don't think he ever even went. My goodness, God help us to have sensible goals. And God can do anything. God can work in our lives. I, I want to say to you this morning, and I, I'm going to be fair with your time. A whole lot better than Johnny did. But uh, <laughs> I love that kid, though. He's, he is a great blessing to his big brother. But this thing, you ought to make it a matter of prayer. I wouldn't just fill something out on that card. I'd make it a matter of prayer. Now, I make it a matter of priority. This, this is something that matters. World missions matters. And make it a matter of purpose. As every man purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Back many, many years ago, probably a hundred, there was a young lady in that same city of Saginaw, Michigan, that felt called to the mission field of India. Back in those days, she was going to board a ship and sail. It cost $75 passage one way. She only needed $75 a month for support. She raised it quickly in just a half a dozen churches or so. And she was just about ready to leave. She was the eldest of eight children, and her mother died. Her father said to her, he said, Helen, listen, I, I can't raise these children without your help. I need you. She was also a, a school teacher in a one-room schoolhouse. She was a brilliant woman. And she acquiesced to her dad, and I not, would not argue the ins and outs of that. And she said, okay. She sent the $75 back that she'd got for passage and sent the money back to the half a dozen churches She'd gotten the first month already. She helped raise her little brothers and sisters. Her sister Esther became of age. She was released of her responsibilities. She married a man. His last name was Stafford. And they had a little boy, but he was a crippled boy, a handicapped boy. Uh, eventually had uh, one of his legs removed. Eventually, way down the road, had both of them removed. But Mr. Stafford died. And here she was left with a crippled boy and now a widow. But she'd been a man. 
It was some years her junior, they fell in love. (laughs) I've read the diary of their honeymoon, and they were in love. She became expectant, had a little boy, lived a few weeks, and he died. She uh, became expectant again, and she had a stillborn baby boy. She became expectant again and had a, another little boy that lived, out, lived out several months, and he died. On May the 14th, 1929, she brought into this world twins. A little boy named William and a little girl named Winifred, Winnie. William lived till July the 25th, and he died. That little gal, young mother, took that little, that little twin girl. She only weighed two pounds and eight ounces. Most of us have caught fish that weighed more than that. Took that little two-and-a-half-pound baby girl, put her in a satin-lined cigar box, took her to the altar in the Par Memorial Baptist Church in Petoskey, Michigan, and put her on the Lord's Supper table and said, Lord, you've taken one husband and four sons, but I'd like to give you this little girl that there would be those that would come from her that would serve the Lord. She lived. She lived. On September the 5th, 1948, she married a young preacher boy. 367 days later, I discovered America. She was my mother. John's mother. From that little two and a half pound baby girl that was placed on that altar and given to God. Today, today, while I'm talking to you, there are 40 adult people in full-time Christian service around the world. Brothers, sister-in-laws, sons, daughters, nieces, nephews, probably great nieces and nephews of mine, I guess. Serving God today from one little two-and-a-half-pound baby girl. You would be wise this morning, Mom and Dad, to completely take your hands off your children's life and put them in God's hands. Your children are safer in God's hands than they are in your backyard today. Give them to God. Not only give, but give money. You get your kids on the mission field, you get concerned about their income and their welfare. And your grandkids on the mission field, you get concerned about But I'll say this, your missionaries, you said 70 some, they have children, grandchildren. They're somebody's grandkid, somebody's child. And the opportunity that we have to invest in God's people doing God's work is one of the greatest things that God has ever blessed us with. Are you involved? 
Will you pray about it this afternoon if you're going to write on a card tonight? If you're not going to be here, the preacher was so kind. I don't know, I would have been embarrassed to raise my hand. I'm not coming back tonight. You ought to give double whatever God asked you to give. (laughs) Rascals. You say, that's not much of a sermon today, Brother Green. It's what I feel like God would have me talk to you about. Give on purpose. We have a great, great opportunity to invest in the lives of people like this precious young couple here in the printing of the Word of God like John does. I don't know if... I don't have a printing press at my house. I couldn't print the Bible and get it to people. They can. They can. May God help us to think about it and pray about it and labor in our souls what we ought to do. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I'm going to ask two questions. One, how many people here by uplifted hands say, Brother Tim, whatever God asked me to do today about investing in world missions, I'll be willing to do. Would you raise your hand high if I could see it? All over the building. It's almost unanimous. Almost unanimous. That's all any pastor could ask. That's all any church could ask. Whatever God says, that's what I'll do. Is there anybody here today say, Brother Green, God's been speaking to me in these three or four days. Or maybe in recent days, God's been talking to me about investing my life, my life, in world missions. I've heard the call. I feel it down in the depths of my soul. That that's what God wants me to do. Would you raise your hand high that I could see it across this building? Anybody? God bless you, young man. God bless you, little gal. God bless you. You say, oh, that's just kids. My sister was 12. It kind of worked for her. I don't know how many churches they started. I don't know how many Christian schools they have over in that part of the world. That little, I don't know, I guess he's probably not my brother-in-law anymore, but John Gray, he's got great power in that country of the New Guinea with the public office people, president, great power. God's blessed him and used him in an unusual way along those lines. Is anybody here today? I'll ask another question, Mom and Dad. I don't want you to raise your hand to it. But can you see in your heart and mind not putting a stepping, not putting a stumbling block, but a stepping stone in the way of your children? Or your grandchildren. Don't stop them from going. Encourage them to do the will of God for their lives. It's so important. It'd be wonderful. I don't know if you have a missionary out of this church or not, but it is a great thing to have a missionary out of your home church. I mean, somebody you can really get behind and help in a great way. It's an honor. 
It speaks well of a church when there are young people, middle-aged people, even old codgers, investing their lives in world missions. My grandfather on my dad's side, he didn't become, a, he didn't surrender to preach till he's 48 years old. He built 12 or 13 churches in the state of Michigan, built the buildings, and won the people. And one of those churches up there supports our son Jordan on the mission field that my grandfather started over 75 years ago. Now they support the great grandson of the guy that started the church. It's a wonderful legacy. May God help us. I would throw the net out one more time. Is anybody here this morning said, Preacher, I've heard you. I was in Sunday school, heard about how we got our Bible. I've been witnessed to before, and I know I'm lost. I know I'm not a Christian. I know I'm not saved, but I'd like to get saved. The Holy Ghost is here today, friend. Spirit of God's here dealing with people. Is anybody here today say, I'm not a Christian, I'm not saved, I know I'm not, but I'd like to get it settled today. Would you raise your hand? Anybody in this room? Don't miss the opportunity to get saved today. It's too important. 